Welcome to the Top Shelf Hockey Cast, where we talk hockey, mostly Islanders hockey. I'm David Tuckman. Joining me as always, Phil Farber, Phil's Facts on Twitter, and BD Galloff, who is very uncreatively BD Galloff on Twitter. <laughs> I am at Tuck on Sports. Let's get right into it, boys. Six games in, first leg of the extended road trip is complete, and the Islanders were able to get seven points. BD, thoughts on the first six games and where the Islanders stand now? Uh, well, look, it, it, it wasn't pretty. And um, they, Sorokin is finally really playing well and got pushed a little bit by, by Trotz. And the team, you know, the goalie has been steady and a, well above average. And, and despite the defensive issues, which are still happening, that they are still being able to pull wins. Vegas is their first true win versus a playoff team or playoff caliber team to me. Yeah. Although, I, although I will point out just to uh, play devil's advocate, I, I mm-hmm. wonder if Vegas minus Pacioretty and Stone is a playoff it's still, team. It's still a playoff team. Yeah. Well, their system is, seems to be pretty good, but it, it's a good question. Um, so, you know, it's it. How much is goalie derived by playing lights out? And it's offsetting what are still issues in the very beginning. We, it's a mishmash on defense and nobody looking at it can be happy. So, you know, I think there's a little bit of uh, trepidation and still concern because they haven't really brought in some help. Yep. They still need a puck mover. I could, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, Phil? Yeah, I think all things considered, especially with the way the trip started, they go into Raleigh, tough building to play in. They go down to Florida, tough team to play against. The two teams that they first started off against are still undefeated. Starting off 0-2, obviously getting off on the wrong foot, nobody playing well. And then having the challenge of playing four games in six days spread across four different time zones. So to be able to come out of that after starting out 0-2, 3-2-1 is to me a success. This is number one, this is the best start they've had in the Trots era. Number two, if you guys recall back to two seasons ago, the season before the 56-game division-only season, the Islanders struggled tremendously with the West Coast trip. They had two wins outside the Eastern time zone, one in Winnipeg, one in Minnesota. Everything else, mountain time, central time, Pacific time, were losses. So to be able to get this leg of the trip out of the way with the win in Arizona, and yes, a weak Arizona team, and then the next night in Vegas, to get that out of the way and bank those points is tremendous for them. And you don't get any additional points for style. Obviously, it wasn't pretty. But the key for this Islander team specifically with the way they play, they're a team that everyone says is suited for the playoffs get in and once they get in they could go anywhere because of the style of their play for them to get seven points and start out three two and one in these first six games i think that's a success i'll give that a b plus i'm on i'm on board with that for me getting the seven points is huge i'm a big believer that what we see now in october isn't all that important the team will likely be different five months from now Uh, what is important is that they didn't dig themselves a huge hole from making the playoffs perspective you know, if they had lost a couple more of these games and suddenly you're staring up at the New York Rangers and the Washington Capitals and the Pittsburgh Penguins, and you're looking at it going, wow, we've got to buckle down just to make the playoffs. Uh, all that said, I, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't concerned a little. 
You know, uh, we're driving a car and we got from point A to point B, uh, but the engine light was on the entire time, you know, so to speak. Uh, I, I think playoff hangover is a real thing. I think with the aisle style of play, expecting them to come out of the gate playing 82 games with that style. I know we want it, but playing 82 games that style and then another 20 plus in the playoffs, it's just not realistic. So I, I understand that playoff hangover is a real thing. And I, only, I, I know too, all too well what you talk about the West Coast, because the year before that, they had, a, I want to say, a 17-game win streak that ended when I went to the game, because I live in Los Angeles, and I went to the Kings game, and then I followed it up with a Ducks game, and they lost them both. And at that point, and you could argue even still now, the Kings and the Ducks were garbage. So... Even then, even the year before that, that West Coast trip has always given them difficulties. Uh, let's get into some more of the nitty gritty, though. You started to touch on it, BD. Uh, the offseason talk was all about who would f- replace Letty, our, our puck-moving defenseman. Um, we can argue all day about what Letty's value is, but we finally found out who was replacing him. It, it was Chara. And that... I, for what it's worth, I was 100% on board with that. I love the signing. When you looked at the analytics from the year before with Chara, he got the job done from a defensive standpoint. So I, I thought Lou was brilliant in this regard. I said, this is a great signing. I love it. I don't really care that he's not a puck-moving defenseman, quote-unquote. I, I just thought to myself, he's a great defensive defenseman. He's going to fit in perfectly. Uh, you know, Maybe take a little pressure off Martin. He can be another enforcer on the ice. He's a great team guy, and you bring him back to the island, and I loved it. Uh, unfortunately, through the first six games of this year, and it's a small sample size, it has been an abject disaster. Well, and, it, and it, it's two different tiers. One is he's playing horrifically. Two is you brought him in, but you broke up your defensive pairings and didn't put Green with a puck mover. You didn't put Mayfield with a puck mover. Those the reason Letty worked in a lot of ways, you know, we can argue about his, you know, the skill sets and his flaws, but he made the other players better because he was the puck mover and they focused on their part and they were complementary pairs. And here you had pairings that were terrible. So if Chara could not be any kind of the plan. To begin with, I think what's made been made clear in this is and in this mismatch is that they whatever their plan A was or plan B, they were long gone. And I think they're working plan C or plan D here. And I do think they're also. Are you certain of that? I mean, do we know that for sure? We don't know for sure, but I feel like this mismatch is very odd and and the pairings are odd. And I, you know, and I do think this plan C can reap benefits if they can get one of these young players playing in, you know, Robin Sallow is going to be on this team in 2025 games. He is playing extremely well. And I think he's the best defensive prospect in, in the Islanders system. Well, okay. We'll get to, we'll get the solo in a little bit. Let's let, I want to try to try to stay on Chara for a second. (laughs) In terms of Chara. Is he done? I mean, is it, I mean, from what we've seen through six games, he looks awful, Phil. Is he done or is this something where, you know, do we have to give him a few, do we give him a few more games? I think whether we want to or not, Trotz is going to give him a few more games. Is this something that maybe he can work through? 
my whole issue with the uh, with the Chara signing, and I had messaged you five days before they signed him, Tuckman, and I <laughs> I asked you, is there a place I could put down money on whether or not the Islanders are going to sign Chara? Where could I get odds? And you said, yeah, you know, if you want to bet, you can bet on anything. It's Vegas, baby. Um, my whole issue was looking at the back end there, just where the pieces would fit. They already had Green, and we knew Green only having sat for one game last year was going to play this year. So the opening was next to Mayfield. And if they were going to bring in Chara, it was just going to be a misalignment of the pairs. Chara wasn't signing up for a job where he would be sitting in the press box most of the season. At least I don't think so. Maybe that's the plan. Who knows? Maybe there's some sort of trigger at 15, 20 games once he earns his performance bonuses where they're going to work in some sort of load management. But the issue that we saw right out of the gate was you had a terrible green Mayfield pairing. Neither of them are bad players on their own. Mayfield's actually a very good player, but that pair was 0-4 in terms of goals for and goals against, and Trotz did the right thing, and he split them up rather quickly, putting Green back with Dobson, and that pair's been working. But what that has forced Trotz to do now, because you certainly can't have a Mayfield-Chara pairing, is split up his top pair. I don't believe that Barry is going to go the entire season with Pelican Pollock split up. I don't think that they signed them to those deals with anything other than this is our top pair. We've got our top pair line locked up. And I think Barry's going to want to get those two guys back together. So for now, while they work out this, these issues, they're going to give Chara a little more rope. They probably want to see someone like Salo establish his footing more in the AHL where he's playing really well. And by the time we get to the first injury call up, we might find ourselves in a, in a Devontae's type situation where a guy like Salo could come in and steal the role. But for now, it's objectively not working. They're getting outshot almost every single game. They've yielded the third highest shot total per game in the league. This is an Islanders hockey. No, I mean, and the game versus Arizona, a win's a win. You got to beat teams on your schedule. I know that. But, you know, as we record this, Arizona, who is barely, it's basically an AHL team, is playing Florida. And I think at one point in the middle of the second period, Spencer Knight had four saves. For Florida, they just lost. They just lost to Florida four to three. Actually, that game just ended. They just lost. Okay, but it's. I mean, the fact they scored three goals on what? Probably three goals on sixteen shots. Um, I'm, I'm guessing. By the way, I don't have shots. nineteen Close shots. Enough. Okay, cool. It's just a situation where, like, you know, there were points of that Arizona Islander game that I thought was quite were quite alarming. You know, I mean, we ended up winning the game three nothing, but there were a couple of moments here and there where it very easily could have been one one and and. You know, as I said, I think Arizona is basically an AHL team. One thing that I'm 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 a little bit more pleased about, and I was a little concerned with, was Dobson because early on, Dobson with Chara looked like he had regressed. His decision making, um, his, his body positioning in front of the net was off, and it seems like when we put him back with Green, um, uh, he became a little more assertive. His decision making is a little better. He's just more comfortable. And I just put out a tweet today. Uh, from my Twitter, I talk on sports, showing a couple of clips of Dobson just looking noticeably better. Yeah, the only problem is, is he's he's playing third pair minutes. He's not top four. And the question is, could he be, because his only top four push was with Chara, which was a nightmare. Yeah. So, you know, that there's 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 good there's good in it. The Dobson's getting back and some equalization, but it's also, there seemed to be a real 
need for the for him to be a top four defender. And he's not I'm, getting I'm, that right now. I'm going to dispute that. I don't think he needs to be a top four defender in terms of minutes. I think Mayfield's been playing fine. I think a lot of that has to do with Mayfield obviously being paired with Pellick. But when Mayfield is paired with someone who can help him out and move the puck out of the zone. He's a very, very effective player. Mayfield is surprisingly effective in the offensive zone too. Too. We saw in the playoffs, he's able to score goals. He's got a pretty decent shot. Something he does well, he gets all shots on net. That man, he shoots with reckless abandon. Unlike Pollock, he doesn't miss the net. He creates rebound opportunities for players. He's, he's a smarter player than he's given credit for. He's very steady in his own zone. And I don't have a problem necessarily with Dobson playing third pair minutes. Go ahead, David. No, please, 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 please go. I, I think the biggest issue is they probably just need to identify whether internal or external, a better partner for Mayfield. Yeah, and, and that's, that's certainly the issue. Mayfield is surprising instincts offensively. Something that I don't, I don't think people are giving credit for. Uh, just the other day, you saw him make that great pinch. Barzal had a forecheck, makes the pinch, throws it to the net. Uh, you know, and we get a lucky goal out of it. But hey, it's a goal, and that's part of what, what he does. Um, I, I tend to agree that Noah Dobson doesn't need to get top four minutes. I think that not different in – I think when a very young player has success in sports, it clouds everybody's judgment. I think that happened in the NFL when you saw like Russell Wilson coming out of the gate in this, for Seattle and playing so well. Everybody expected, oh, every quarterback is going to be amazing right away. And you realize, no, no, actually, it, it's hard to be a rookie quarterback in the NFL. You know, let's switch turns. In, in the NHL, you know, we get, you know, Adam Fox. You get Kale McCarr. You get Quinn Hughes. There were a lot of good young defensemen that came out. But the fact of the matter is, defense has always traditionally been a position that, Takes time. yeah, you develop yeah. slower. I mean, when did Pelican and Pollock really emerge, right? When did, Dev- when did Taze come out yeah. and finally emerge? Now, you could argue that he should have been brought up the year before, maybe, whatever it might be. But I think people forget because they're looking at Cal McCarr and they look at Adam Fox and they go, yeah. why isn't Noah Def- Dobson that? He's not that. No, but it doesn't mean that he can't, right, right. It doesn't mean that he can't be a really good defenseman if put in the right moments. And that's part of coaching. You know, you put your players in position to succeed. Yeah, and that's why, you know, that's why they had um, Chara in there is to also, you know, Barry Trotz is a big one for mentorship. You know, he did it in Nashville. He, he's doing it here, and he, he's a big believer in it. So, you know, though Chara is not working out, and I do think as a, as a seventh defenseman or somebody to plug in, he's a lot better than Coburn. Or, you know, is he at least I is think, he, that's what I was asking myself. We would day. never I was, know. We I, never I had know. it on my fingertips during the game last night. I was about to tweet out. You know what? I, I kind of wish they would have sung Coburn. I just I mean, I, I listen again, you know, and we'll, 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 we'll kind of uh, we'll turn the page on Chara and go to Josh Bailey because it, it is I think it's apropos. Can John can can Chara, you know, can he start to play better? Can he get more aggressive? Can he basically get better? I, I have my doubts. He's 44 years old. If he's not good at the start of the season, uh, you know, the wear and the tear of the season starts to toll on him. And you wonder, is he going to get better? You know, as I look at Josh Bailey, he was terrible the first five games. He was great in the game in Vegas. And, you know, I know Phil and I were tweeting about this. We were saying, listen, we think Bailey will turn it around. This could just be a playoff hangover. You know, you're talking about a guy who's in his 30s now, played an extra long season, didn't get the full rest. 
and maybe he just wasn't ready emotionally, physically, whatever it might be. That's okay. I have faith that Josh Bailey becomes a, a, a useful second line winger. Um, I, I have my doubts about Chara. Yeah, I agree. And even, you know, even if a lot of this stuff with Chara has to do with system and communication, we saw both against Florida and against Carolina, these faster teams, they just go around him and there's nothing he could do to get faster. So if we're in a playoff series and we're playing against a clunky team like Washington, that might work where they're not going to beat you with speed, where you could body OV out of position. And even, even when Char has been going body to body, he's, he's been taking the worst end of it in some of these, in some of these battles, surprisingly. Yeah. So he's ending up on the floor a lot. Josh Bailey, listen, he started off last year ice cold. And I drew a parallel to what Trotz did the game against Arizona to what he did with the game against Pittsburgh in game 10 last year. Last year, the Islanders were on a five-game losing streak. So I think it was three regulation losses to Jersey, Washington, and Washington, two overtime losses to Philly. And what did he do? He flips Bailey. He flips Everly. It gets the team going. They get a win. And then they start to get on a roll, which kind of led into the, the nine-game winning streak that they had last year. People were going crazy. Bailey's playing bad. Why are they putting him on the top line? I don't think Trotz wanted to touch the third line. And last night, he went to the blender a lot. And we saw some really wacky line combinations. But it was the same principle. He flips Bailey with Palmieri. It got Brock and Bo going. That was their best line against Arizona. And then last night, their best line was objectively Bailey, Barzell, and whoever else they threw it on the wing over there. So Bailey, we, we know from last year, he's a slow starter. There's a lot of things about his game that'll frustrate you, the way he holds the puck on the power play. And that's a whole separate debate as to whether or not he actually belongs in the power play. But at least with Bailey, we have the history with him and the confidence that he's going to be a useful player for us. And he probably didn't fall off a cliff at age 32. And that, that's the thing, right, BD? I mean, and you look at it, you look at the history of players, you go at 32 years old. Yeah. Maybe he's not what he was when he was 27 years old, but he's not going to fall off the cliff. No, not yet. And you know, yes, he's, and he's notoriously streaky, but if you take the thing about Bailey is he's a, a complimentary playmaker. He's not a play driver. But if the play drivers are on his line, he responds and fits in as long as the puck is moved and everything seems to gel. As soon as he was going to be announced on that first line, I knew it was going to pay out because if you have the right setup, he's going to respond and he's going to be part of the solution. But, you know, but when those things are not working and he's not in a complimentary situation and the other players are not quite on their game either. He looks horrendous because he's really contingent on those other players. It's, it's always been an aspect that's been described to me about him from the very beginning when people thought he was a complete failure and he kept on playing center position. And they said he's a Mark Savard type, not saying that he's Mark Savard, but that type of player that really keys in and is complimentary. And that's what I think that's been proven out with him when everything's on and everything's working. And, and also he can be very clutch when he's on his game and you add that to the equation and he can be very, like we saw in the, in the 2020 playoffs, um, you know, so he's still very capable, but with a bunch of things not working and, 
he didn't particularly look good, but I also think that's really contingent on how used and how the other players are playing. And that really seems to affect his play, but he's very capable and he's, and you know, there'll always be a contingent that don't, don't like that style of play and the things that he does, but he still seems to get it done and he still seems to be an effective player and he still gets, you know, he's still a key guy on those first assists. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I got into a, an argument with a few people, uh, Dan Friedman and a couple of people on Twitter about points and, you know, there's so <laughs> many, well, there, there's just, there are so many statistics, you know, and, and it used to be back in the day, the way we would judge a, a, a hockey player was very simple. Plus minus points and goals. That's it. Assists and goals and plus minus. Wow. Look at that guy's plus minus, you know, and now fast forward to 2021. We realized finally that plus minus is kind of a, a ridiculous stat. Um, does it, is it useless? No, it's not useless, but, but it, you know, it, it tells it, nothing of the tale of what's going on with the team. Exactly. And, and listen, I feel like all the statistics, if you take it by it's on its own merit, they're not that like Corsi, for example, I don't think Corsi is particularly useful just by itself. But if you take all of the statistics and you start looking at them, they can start to take the, you can start to get a picture. And I tend to think that assists in particular points can be somewhat overrated and misleading. Doesn't mean, listen, do I want my 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 forwards and my my defensemen getting points? Of course I do. I mean, I mean, I'm not an idiot. But at the same time, you know, we have seen I mean, Ghost in, in Arizona this year is probably going to get himself 50 points. Does that mean he's suddenly a better player? You know, if I put Cal Clutterbuck with that wrist shot, if I put him on uh, on on Connor McDavid's wing, he's going to score goals. I guarantee it. Does that suddenly mean Cal Clutterbuck is a better player this year than he was last year because he's playing with a better player? No. Um, you know, Gustafson, it wasn't that long ago. He got 60 points in Chicago, yet nobody wanted him, had to sign as a PTO. So I guess that's my only thing I caution fans. Points are not the everything. Yes, we need goals to win games. That I understand. I'm not saying we don't need goals. We need that. But I'm just saying when you're judging a player, it, it, it's just one of the statistics that you've got to look at. You've got to look at the entire picture. Does a player play the power play? What role is he asked to play? Are, are most of his shifts started in the defensive zone, the offensive zone? You know, does he get to play with Barzal? Does he have to play with, you know, what are the responsibilities? And that's why analytics is multiple data points. Sorry, Phil, I know you wanted to speak. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, to, to, to David's point, I mean, I saw a stat pointed out, and now the Maple Leafs have played seven games. Mitch Marner has one assist on the season, and that assist came with him. I believe it was a secondary assist when he was on the bench. He completed a change, <laughs> got the puck dumped in or something, and that's the sole point he has this season. And I remember, I live in Toronto, so the Toronto media, it was – it was an absolute shit show during the contract. By the way, Mitch Marner, Mitch Marner in Toronto is Josh Bailey in New York, right? Mitch Marner is worse. His perception I, is worse, and it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be because it's Dubis's fault. Dubis gave him the money, right? Right. Marner's right. agent has a responsibility to Marner and himself to get themselves the most amount of money humanly possible. And Marner's dad was involved in that. And good for them squeezing 11 million on a six-year deal out of Kyle Dubas. But the conversation around Marner as it pertained to the Matthews contract, because Matthews signed five years at 11.6, and they were talking about what Marner's value should be on a comparable contract. And everyone was saying it shouldn't even be within 2 million of this, because although he racks up way more points than Austin Matthews, you pay a premium for goal scoring. 
That's just the way it is. It's much harder to score a goal in the league than it is to set up a primary assist or a secondary assist or whatever it might be. The name of the game is scoring goals. We've seen from the Islanders, they have this ridiculous stretch of five or six out of eight goals happen to have been unassisted, right? They were on broken plays, turnovers, a puck got kicked by a member of the opposing team. Goal scoring is what you pay the premium for. So to Tuckman's point, you could have a guy like Seth Jones, who if he were on the Islanders right now, he'd be leading the team in points by virtue of the fact that he has four. And the person who's on the Islanders right now leading the pack is Bailey with four, but that doesn't tell the story as to how much value the player is adding to the team. Yeah. And you also can tell how they're playing each night and night out the multiple data points and the shows on how they're producing in the game is really what matters and gets them to the end point. Are they doing the right things? Are they keeping the puck possession? Are they keeping it within the zone? Are, you know, those are the items that, you know, the, the scoring will happen, but if, if everybody's playing to a certain level, that's why they, you know, it, it tends to get myopic. They look at the one, well, this guy was playing bad, but, oh, he, he got this one score, but he was still playing bad. And that will probably continue. And then, you know, that's, it doesn't tell the entire tale. Yeah, um, it, it, it's interesting. So from a, a poker perspective, I used to work with Pro Football Focus uh, covering football. And I, I think there's, there is a, from a fan's perspective, from a human being's perspective, our brains are wired this way. We are very results oriented. Guy comes down the down the the side of the uh, the ice on the wing, and he shoots the puck, and it goes in. Wow, great game, great throw. Same shot, it hits the post. Up, oh, it didn't score, right? And and it's kind of like there's a lot of there's a lot of luck involved, you know. Barzal can make the most amazing play, do a spinorama, go around somebody, set somebody up, and if the guy scores, Barzal gets an assist, and we suddenly say, wow, what a game! He had two assists, he played great. But if that doesn't go in, he doesn't get the assist. So I think there, there's times where we can be a little bit, uh, we can get results oriented rather than focus on the actual play. And I know, you know, if I'm going to make the analogy to football, sometimes, you know, a quarterback can make an awful throw. The defensive back just doesn't catch it. So it's not an interception. Does that mean the quarterback actually didn't make a mistake? Of course not. He still made the mistake. He just didn't get penalized. Get for caught. It. Yeah. yeah. Or, or conversely in football, also a quarterback can, be in trouble, scramble in the pocket, have a little dump off, and all of a sudden a broken play becomes 89 yards down the field where the quarterback gets credit for a passing touchdown, even <laughs> though they really didn't do all that much. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. Uh, let's uh, let's quickly, it looks like we've only got about uh, about eight minutes left, so let's quickly get through some other stuff here. Uh, talking about other abject disasters uh, from the start, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe you guys love them. Uh, Kiefer Bellows. If I never see this guy in a New York Islanders uniform again, I'm okay with that. BD? Oh, God. I don't know why he's there. Um, I don't know why he gets keeps getting played. He doesn't bring anything to the table. Well, uh, he got played it, because Pat Joe and Anders Lee got were, were sick, yeah, and they didn't have any other options. It was him or Ross. Yeah. But he, I, well, the problem is, is he shouldn't be up. Um, he shouldn't be on the team. He should be cut loose and have it see if there's an opportunity elsewhere. Um, you know, and, and I hope it does work out for him, but I don't see how it fits. I don't see him as an NHLer, and I don't see him fitting the Islanders schematic. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I don't like Kiefer. He's, he's one or two steps too slow. He doesn't forecheck. Well, he doesn't back check. Well, 
unless he's got a lot of time and space and line mates to create that space for him, you know, that, that shot of his becomes pretty useless because it's, it's only on the rarest of occasions he could get it off. I pointed out yesterday for fans wondering about what Kiefer Bellows trade value might be. And this would be indicative of what the waiver wire would think of him. Dylan Gambrell, who's played over hundred NHL games. Okay. Player for the sharks was a second round pick in 2016, the same draft as Kiefer. And he got moved to Ottawa for a seventh round pick. So I can't imagine there's, no there's any market demand for Kiefer Bellows, even as a thrown in a trade. Would someone look at him on the waiver wire? Maybe, but, but who really cares? I think there are probably better depth options at Bridgeport right now, where if we ran into that situation, number one, we have no extra center on the lineup. We saw the other night when Pajot was, was sick um, and he looked like he played sick the next night or two nights later in Arizona. He looked totally off in Arizona. I think he yeah, was he just did. gutting it out. They moved Zach Parisi to the middle, and then all of a sudden they started double-shifting Barzal because it just wasn't working. Parisi, Parisi's a winger. I mean, <laughs> you know, talk about teaching an old dog new tricks. It was nice that they tried it to have that line out there with Bellows, Wallstrom, and Parisi, but I think it's probably somewhat important to get a center or a person who could play center on the roster. doesn't necessarily need to be Leo Komarov. Please, please God, no. But if, if you know, they wanted to bring up someone who can – play more useful minutes, whether it be Ponick or, or MDC or Goloshev, who's starting to get hot down there. I, I think these extra spots have, have better use than, than Ross and Bellows. Hey, by the way, that game, uh, Barzal had 21 minutes and 31 seconds of uh, time on the ice. He had nine shots. He had a goal. Uh, I, for one, you can just inject that directly into my veins. <laughs> and that was, was the game against Columbus, right? He had a goal, right? Yeah. 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 Goal. No, he was just, he was everywhere. I was like, oh, wow. I, I signed me up for 20 minutes of Barzal. I loved it. Um, Phil, I know you've been watching, and, and I know BD, you are always kind of keyed in with our prospects. Uh, and Phil, you've been watching a lot of the bridge, the, 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 the AHL Bridgeport games. Uh, talk about uh, MDC and Salo and uh, anyone else down there, Holmstrom, uh, Goloshev. What are we seeing down there? Is there some promising stuff? Yeah, I mean, we, we know what MDC is. The only difference is, and I clipped a couple of his uh, scoring plays. One was an assist, a really good secondary assist, an assist that does matter on the stat sheet, where he's entering the zone with control and with speed. And on his goal, he had a power play goal where he kind of leads a give and go. He blows by a defender and he snipes a top shelf. So the points in the AHL don't necessarily matter. You have a lot of guys like Chris Terry, who's a career AHLer who knows how to play because he's a smart veteran, We'll put up ridiculous point totals, but is just not an NHL player because they're undersized or whatever it might be. So I don't necessarily care as much about MDC's points as much as I do the way he looks and the way he's playing. And he just yep. looks like he picked up a gear over the summer. Goloshev, he's playing on a line with Holmstrom and with Koivola. I don't love Koivola on that line because he's incredibly slow, but I can tell you Holmstrom looks like he's got some pep in his step. He's been dangling defenders. It looks like there might be something there. Uh, but Goloshev's got the hot hand right now. He just scored two goals. He's played four games, three goals total. Um, he has been all over the net. He easily could have had a hat trick the other night. Um, so that's someone interesting to keep an eye on. Not really a prospect because he's only a few months short of 27 years old. So really he's a veteran player who just happens to never have played in the NHL. And Robin Salo, I mean, he's been the player to keep an eye on. He had an OT winner. And how good would he have looked in our three and three overtime? Because we have absolutely no one who could carry the puck up ice the way this guy does on, on the back end. Um, he's making plays. He quarterbacks that power play. In some instances, they're leaving him out for the full two minutes on the power play. 
uh, which I like. Um, he's steady in his own zone. He's got four points in six games. I think they're probably going to let him marinate for a bit longer, but in the event of injury, they clearly don't trust Aho if they're not going to play him in a three and four and they roll out two 40 year olds. So injury happens, a COVID bug hits or something like that. I think Salo's going to get the first call. BD. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, Dalcolo is playing well. Um, you know, he's one of those players that is just very useful. And I feel like I really would like him up and Johnston down. I feel that he is more useful for that. Go ahead, Phil. Do you disagree? Or no? Okay. No, no, no. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, but, um, and, and, you know, I feel like, yes, he's not going to get the points, but he plays the type of game that really works well and would really be more useful on, uh, on the NHL team. And then you have um, Salo, as I said before, he's the best defensive prospect in the Islanders organization and is looking it and is just acclimating his game and working on a couple of items. And I think it's just a foregone conclusion that he's going to be coming up and hopefully sorting out some of those issues. Golashev is an interesting uh, player because he's really like a middle six type of player and really can be, and he's feisty too. So it, it, he could be really useful. And especially if there's an injury or where there's an opportunity because yeah, he's 27 years old and here's his opportunity here. Can he make, make the team and be utilized? And so far he's looking good you know, down in Bridgeport. One of the things that came up, uh, Pellick's finger, and, you know, obviously that's every every Islander fan held their breath. I'm sure Barry and Lou did as well. When Varlamov is back and we have two number one goaltenders, and I think it, it's clear that we do have two number one goaltenders, is there anyone more valuable and indispensable than Adam Pellick on this team? Because I, I just can't imagine what this team, what this defense would look like without him. No. no he is the most valuable defender on the team. He's the I most agree. outside of Barzell. He's the most valuable player on the team. I mean, I, I listen, I mean, I, I, I named my cat Barzal. But so not me, Josh Bailey. Josh Bailey's not number two. Oh, sorry. If you no, told but, me, if you told me Barzal missed six or seven games, while obviously our offense would struggle, I feel like we'd still win a few of those games. One, nothing two one, maybe three, two or something like that. I feel like clearly we need Barzal. I'm not going to tell you we well, don't, but I feel like without Adam Pellick, our defense just goes to shit. Oh, and not only that, but in this current situation, oh. it even even worse. Yeah. Can you imagine? And that's that's the most dangerous and thought of all is uh, or horrific as we come to Halloween. Uh, if if Pellick went down as we're trying to deal with this current mess. Yeah. Well, Barry said not to worry, so I'll, I'll take his word for it. <laughs> They've only got one game in the next 10 days. So even if he misses one game, not the end of the world. Um but no, they cannot afford to lose Pellet for any significant period of time. Let's put a bow on our second episode of Top Shelf Hockey Cast by discussing Varley coming off IR, Schneider has been waived, and of course, the offensive genius of Ross Johnston. 87 career games, 7 goals, 8 assists, 202 penalty minutes. I joke, but the real genius in all of this is Lou. Ross just got a four-year extension from the Isles. Uh, Phil, please enlighten us. Uh, first off with Varley. Yeah, good to see Varley coming off IR. They obviously waived Schneider. Um, he's technically on Bridgeport's roster now. I don't expect him to report, per se, or play games. From what I understand, Leo Komarov has yet to report to the AHL, and it could be as simple as stay home if we need you, come 
and uh, rejoin the team in the event of injury. But I, I would not expect. How do I Schneider sign up for that get- job? I want the job where I get three million dollars and the Islanders tell him to stay home because you know Lou is, uh, you know Lou didn't tell Leo to report and he said no I'm not going to report. Lou told Leo just go home, watch some TV, chill, stay in shape. We'll let you know when we that, need you. That's certainly how it seems, and and Schneider has the benefit of a two way deal that pays a half a million dollar base salary at the AHL level. So. Because he's on a two-way deal, there's a different AHL and NHL deal just for those out there. I know there's a lot of misconceptions about what two-way and a one-way deal means. Just to give a brief explainer, one-way deal basically means that no matter what level you're at, whether it's AHL or NHL, you get this salary. When you sign a two-way deal, what it basically means, it has nothing to do with whether or not you have a waiver's exemption. It's specifically that you have this NHL salary, and should you clear waivers and go down to the AHL, you have a separate AHL salary. For Corey Schneider, that's a half a million dollars. So a half a million dollars to do pretty much nothing. That's that's a pretty decent living. That's a pretty decent living for him. We have a goaltender there, Jakob Skarek, who has been playing incredible, dating back to the end of last season. He had a shutout the same night that... He's from the Czech Republic? He's from the Czech Republic. He played for the Czech World Junior Team. Uh, several years ago. He's a third round draft pick. I think we took him in the same draft that we took Dobson and Wallstrom. He's someone to keep an eye on because if he can really step up his game and his previous two years in Bridgeport were sub 900 save percentages, but he's off to a great start this year with a 930 something in four games. I think the Islanders have points in every single game he's played so far. I think it's 2-0-2 is their record with him in the lineup. If he can become what they hoped he would become when they drafted him, he could potentially be a cheap backup option to Sorokin for the next several years, making Varlamov expendable next summer if they want to recoup assets in a trade, um, if they want to go out and make a bigger splash. Right now, they're poised to have roughly $14 million in cap space and not a lot of big free agents to sign next summer. So that's just an interesting development there with Skarik and Bridgeport. If, if he can really take his game to a level where he could become an NHL backup next year. Yeah, that's exciting, you know, because we, when we think about our, the Islander prospects, you know, we think of Salo, we think of maybe Bolduc, uh, you know, I, I think there's some hope for Simon Holmstrom. Um, we hadn't seen much until recently. You talked about his dangles and hopefully, you know, maybe he starts to mature. He's not injured anymore. Uh, I, I don't think that Skarek was on many Islander fans' radars. And we forget about it. You know, goaltenders tend to develop slower. He's still incredibly young. And if he's somebody that can, you know, be a backup, whether it be in next year, whether it be in two or three years even, that's, you know, that's a great return for uh, just a third-round pick. One thing that you touched on that I'm concerned about before we get into the Ross Johnston extension is with Leo, I'm not concerned about Corey Schneider going home because I was never concerned about Corey Schneider being on the roster. I didn't think he'd play. But if Leo is going to come back up, where is he skating right now? Because if he's presumably just at home, I have to imagine that he's staying in shape. But if he's not playing AHL games, he's not practicing with the team, then you know how can we expect him to just come up and play? I know most Islander fans don't want that, but you know, let's be realistic. Trot still loves the guy. It's a great question. In watching the broadcast over the weekend, it was the Bridgeport play-by-play guy who pointed out that Leo has yet to report to Bridgeport. I, don't, you know, I haven't been keeping track of practice there this week. I know they play a couple games this weekend. So 
We'll see if Leo is added into the mix at that point. They have a lot of veterans down there. They've got Panic. They've got um, Goloshev. Technically, I think falls into the veteran category over he's there. He's definitely he's a veteran. I mean, the guy's twenty six years old, right? Yeah, but I'm talking about and pertaining to the veteran rule where you can't have more than six veterans skate in the AHL. Right. So having Leo would would take away time from people who probably need that development time, especially since we just had two shortened AHL seasons. Simon Holmstrom hasn't played a full AHL season since he's been drafted. Right. His two post-draft years have both been chopped up years, a COVID shortened year because of the pause. And then last year was just 24 games where he played against two teams. So maybe Leo ends up reporting. I'd have to imagine there's something in place where he's skating regularly and getting his cardio in. And in the event that injuries pile up at some point that he will be in game shape. Um, but it, he just hasn't yet. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, he could be up early. He could be up actually uh, sooner than we all think. Uh, let's turn our attention to the Ross Johnston extension. I think most people saw that on Twitter. They saw the announcement and their, their mouths dropped and their jaws dropped. And they went, wait, what? Why? Why are we extending this guy for another four years? Um, just for the, the facts, extensions four years at $1.1 million per. Talk us through this because it is absolute genius from Lou Lamorello again. Yeah, so here, here's what Lou did. Essentially, he, he wants to keep Ross Johnston in the fold. Elliot Friedman in 32 thoughts before the season, before all the waiver moves were made in order to get to roster compliance to the 23-man roster, put out there that teams were keeping an eye on Ross Johnston specifically and that Lou had been hesitant to put him through waivers because he knew he'd get claimed. The week before, the Rangers waived a career AHL defenseman, Mason Geertsen, who had zero NHL games. He's a face filler. He's 26 years old. And the Devils picked him up because face fillers are in demand right now. People want that enforcer type. The Rangers, they went out, they traded for Reeves, a third round pick to get Ryan Reeves. They extended Reeves before he even set foot in Manhattan for next year. So there's clearly a demand in the market for this type of player. And you might think to yourself, well, well, why? Well, Lou has his reasons. And Lou doesn't just give away players for free. He didn't give away Hosang for free. He's not giving away Bellows for free, even though Barry barely plays him even when he plays, and he's not giving Ross away for free. The issue they have is these guys aren't really reliable in the roles that they want them to play. Yeah, okay, so, so hold on. I want to stop for one second because I, I, the genius of the, the contract extension is it basically makes him unclaimable, and we'll talk about that for a second. The question I have is if Ryan Reeves is fetching a third-round pick – and if there actually is a demand for a Ross Johnston type, why don't we trade him for a for a four? Why why, why don't we let him go? I mean, but also, but keep in mind, being waived is one thing because maybe we don't want to face him, maybe we don't want to deal with him. So you don't want you know one of our one of somebody in the East to take him. But if we're trading him, we can choose where he goes. Then why don't we do that then? Yeah, and that was something I, I did suggest before the season started. Barry had mentioned that Lou was making calls to see if they could find destinations for some of the bubble players on the roster. And I, I, I genuinely thought that Ross would be traded, right? When you, like you mentioned, Reeves gets traded for a three. Maybe someone wants Ross for a five. It's not that Ross is any less skilled than Reeves. He's pretty much a much younger version of Ryan Reeves. I think he's about eight years younger or something like that. So what Lou essentially did here, maybe there's demand, maybe there's no demand. Maybe he just didn't get a trade offer that he wants. He created a, you know, a mechanism 
for which he can waive him without recourse. No one's going to want to pick up this contract. From today until this contract ends, there's about $5 million in real cash in it. You have to keep the player on your roster. So number one, you have to have the cap space for at least the next 30 days. Because if you wave him down, the Islanders could simply reclaim him and then put them put him into Bridgeport. So you need to have the cap space available to you. And you need to have an owner who is willing enough to foot the bill for this. And a lot of the credit is going to Lou, but I think even more credit it needs to go to Ledecky and Malkin. Because if you look at the AHL roster right now, they've got six or seven guys down there on one-way deals. If Ross is going to get waived, that's another player going down there. And you know, the idea of an AHL roster and signing two-way deals and signing AHL-only deals is specifically for cost. And the fact that Ledecky and Malkin are signing off on this and they're showing a willingness to invest at all levels in order to create more depth within the organization is just a testament as to how badly they want to win. I think and fans as, should be really excited about that. Yeah, I was going to say, from a fan's perspective, how excited do you have to be to have ownership that is this committed and also, they want to win this badly, but they're also, they know where their place is. They don't meddle. They let Lou Lamorello and, and Barry do the job, and they just go, okay, what do you need? What can I do to make your job easier? And the fact that they spend that much money for an AHL roster is, is testament to that. Um, you know, I think whatever, you, whatever team you might be a fan of, for me at least, I look, I think there's a direct line. I think, I think good owners you know, project down, and I think it all comes from the top. And you look at good organizations, and I think it comes, comes from good ownership. And um, as an Islander fan, I am really excited to see this, to see that the Islanders, that the, the owners are this committed to winning and also the fact that they are willing to stay out of it and not meddle. You know, they let Lou do his job, and, uh, you know, that's the most important thing because you see it in other sports all the time where owners are trying to be the general manager as well. And that never ends well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great time to be an Islander fan. Everyone wants to win at all levels. And the owners are, are making a commitment to that. And uh, looking forward to seeing the new building open soon, too. Oh, I'm so excited for that. Well, I, I think we covered everything. Uh, we'll get Varlamov back. We'll get Sorokin back. Uh, it'll all be together. We'll be good to go. I, I am curious to see how long it takes before Ross is waived and who comes up. Is it MDC, who you've been talking about, is playing really well? Uh, is it Panic? Um, I think it's clear from how much ice time Ross and Bellows was, were getting uh, when there was a sickness that, that Barry wants access to somebody else. So, uh, Pretty clear. Yeah. Uh, well, that is going to do it for us. Thank you for joining us. We will be back soon. If you have any questions you want answered on our next episode, let us know on Twitter. You can find us at Phil's Facts, at BD Goloff. I am at Tuck on Sports. If you like the podcast, subscribe, leave us a comment, let your friends know about it. For Phil Farber and BD Galloff, I am David Tuckman. We'll be back when the ice is ready. 